everybody. This is the Monday Begins on Saturday podcast, episode two. Um, with me today is Olga. Yes. My name is Fabrizio. As usual. As usual, yeah. And uh, yeah, so last time we did a little intro about to introduce ourselves. This time we decided to finally talk about something a bit more substantial. Actually, we've decided to go the easy way, because what do you start with? Let's review some smart books somebody else read, you know, read. No, not read. <laughs> we didn't. Wrote, I guess. <laughs> Wrote, yeah, sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we decided to review some books on creativity because every year it's the beginning of the year still technically. And every year a lot of people decide I'm going to read uh, 10 books, 20 books and so on. And uh, we actually didn't plan to read any nonfiction books per se, um, but um, decided still to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you only have so and so much time, right? So reading entire books is, is a big challenge anyways. Um, but nevertheless, uh, yeah, we, we try our best and I guess we also hack a bit around, right? So we are not just straight up reading books from... Start no, don't to tell end. everybody our secret. No, oh, let's... our secret. <laughs> <laughs> let's not go in there. No, let's continue. So, uh, you know, reading a books, books about, since the podcast about creativity, uh, reading books that are recommended on a list for uh, creatives uh, seemed like um, a nice uh, first episode because that, the previous one was like a... How do you call in in a TV series when you have a... A pilot. A pilot, exactly. Well, it, it, technically it wasn't even a pilot because we didn't really tease the content we are going to talk about, but just introduced ourselves, I okay. guess. Okay, yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's call it a pilot. So the All previous right. one was a pilot. This one was uh, the first episode. And uh, yeah, we need to come up with some content. So yeah, we decided to review this book because it gets recommended on like most uh, lists for creatives to read and uh, uh, even though the book is on cognitive psychology as we found out and uh, as i told you <laughs> as, as, as you read on whatever amazon <laughs> anyway we decided yeah why not give it a shot um yeah so let's start let's just we just being beating around the bush for five minutes but let's start now I guess it's part of podcasting, no, to just jibber-jabber around <laughs> this topic. Anyways, yeah, so the book we want to talk about is Thinking Fast and Slow by... By the way, by the way, I'm sorry. Oh, no, sorry. You, you continue. Wow, that was rude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just think the, the book was a lot of bitching around the bush and jibber-jabber in between with personal stories. And I really hate that. I really like, just give me the information, man. But somehow, most of the American nonfiction books are written like that the people feel the need to make you emotionally involved probably i don't know i don't know how to explain how else to explain that that's why they tell some personal stories how they went for a walk or how they i don't know sat in the canteen and and so on and i really don't want to read that i'm really not interested i just am interested in information or in a fiction book if i want to read a story i read i don't know alexander dumas or whatever is there Dostoevsky. Yeah, I think most books actually work like that. I mean, especially if you... Yeah, but it's like in Russian there is a saying, there is a lot of water, meaning like meaningless and unnecessary information. Fluff. That, yeah, okay. A lot of fluff in this book. 
Yeah, okay. I'm I'm just sorry. <laughs> just okay. spitting out things. Okay, let's uh yeah. Right so, over, let's continue. Yeah, so now now the name of the book and the author. You're you were saying. Okay, so as I was starting to say, it's uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I hope I am pronouncing Kahneman. this. Kahneman. 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 Yeah. yeah. The, actually, the, the, the and name... And Nobel Prize winner. Yeah. So no actually, the name, the name reads uh, quite... It looks like a very, very German name, but since he's American, uh, who knows? Anyways, um, should I introduce it? Or do you want to introduce no, what the book is about? No, please do. Please do so. Okay, sure. So um, the book opens by describing how um, our behavior is determined by two different systems. And for, uh, I guess, the ease of, of, of you know, describing those systems and keeping the description very simple, he simply calls them System 1 and System 2. And as System 1, um, Kahneman describes the part of our brain that operates very intuitively and suddenly the part that does not tend to think things through and is very impulsive. And then there is system two, which is the more considerate and not automatic analytical part of our brain that um, deals with conscious activities such as self-control, deliberate choice of focus of attention and things like that, right? So everybody has those two sides to them, I guess is the point. And um, the relationship between those two systems pretty much determines how humans behave because it's pretty much about, you know, which system engages at what time and uh, that that might determine the outcome of, I mean, of your surprise, actions. Surprise, surprise, as the name says, the book is about how people think fast and slow. Yeah, yeah. there you have it. So there's the fast and the slow version. And I, I guess th this is pretty straightforward. And as, as Olga was, we would call it, uh, Captain Obvious stuff. Uh, I think sometimes it's it's a bit more interesting when you get uh, when he gets to describe why those two systems, for example, actually exist. Well, that, that's actually a bit that I found kind of interesting. That uh, you know, the evolu the the evolutional evolution biology biological. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so bad with words. Um, yeah. So so you know the the reason why those two systems are actually in place, which is uh, which really comes down to energy expenditure. So system one obviously is much lighter on, you know, wasting or using energy in our brain, while system two is much more energy intense. And so, you know, the brain just tries to find ways of uh, dealing very efficient with uh, the energy it has, which is why this whole system one maybe exists. Plus, obviously, also in dangerous situations, you know, you don't always have the time to think stuff through. So... There is uh, a very need for something very like automatic, fast. automatic, intuitive reaction. Uh, yeah. yeah, or driving a car, for instance. When you drive a car, when you learned it properly, uh, then you're operating on system one without thinking, so to say. And I mean, there is some thinking in the back in a subconscious mind, but you don't. Uh, uh, deliberately th think now I have to turn now I have to look left or right you just do it automatically so that's basically system one and system two is uh, for instance you need to focus on something you need to find the woman in red let's remember matrix <laughs> um, and and in in the crowd and your mind focuses and finds quick quite quickly uh, the woman in red uh, in the crowd yeah I guess so mm-hmm and then he basically goes on about describing, you know, all the effects it has when you're not when you're not 
consciously, deliberately controlling which system you engage in what time. And basically comes up with, with a bunch of examples where people should, uh, where people do make mistakes because... No, no, wait, wait, wait. It's just what, uh, like, essentially what what is what he's saying, that our mind is lazy, kept no obvious, so we'd rather um, uh, use our intuition or our system one and decide quickly instead of uh, stopping, making an effort uh, and apply logics uh, when it's necessary to think think uh, things through carefully, and that's why we make a lot of mistakes, or mistakes, or our mind tends to make a lot of mistakes because we are trying to save energy, so to say, I guess, or the brain is trying to save energy, or body, I don't know, <laughs> whatever is trying to save the energy. Also, what he says is like when you're when you're operating with a system one, you're kind of more creative, uh, more at ease, and uh, system two, yeah, is more logical. So you're less creative when you're like when you when you engage your system two, when you think logically, and you're more creative when you're kind of in an automatic, intuitive mode. But then at the same time, you tend to make more uh, mistakes and false judgments. Okay, uh, and then he actually goes on and starts talking about, I think, different, uh, different theorems around cognitive biases. And so one of the first uh, cognitive biases he talks about is priming. And priming is all about that you, um, for example, hear some information that then will influence your decision making and how we approach certain tasks later on. Um, for example, if you hear the word... Well, they, they did some practical experiments and they, uh, they, they made people read a text or something about, uh, about uh, taking a shower. And then they gave them words with uh, uh, a letter missing and uh, like a blank S, uh, blank P, and they filled it in with a soap. And those who had to read about the text about food... And they got letters S blank P uh, filled it out with soup. So they were kind of pre-primed with the information they were giving beforehand. And uh, that's why they chose uh, certain words or they solved the task in a different way through that. Yeah, exactly. So you, uh, so you get a piece of information that will later influence your decision making, basically, because this piece of information or thing that you saw or maybe heard or maybe... You know, it can be anything pretty much, uh, will then essentially tint your whole experience thereafter. So surprise, surprise, which means that the, the society we live in, our cultural backgrounds, the information, the stories that we hear from our parents, etc., will most probably affect our decision making and uh, yeah, our, um, our life, basically. And it's obviously also very difficult to untangle that. And I think it's also very interesting when you think about, you know, just how people behave. And if, if, that, if this whole priming thing is actually true and goes, goes as far as he claims it does, that essentially, you know, how much of the decisions we are making are actually our own decisions and are not just influenced by some random incident. Yeah, by the before. media, by, uh, yeah, by whatever, propaganda, right? by, um, I don't know, advertisement companies and articles that we read on the media. The dream were, you had last was, night. <laughs> no, no, well, I don't know about dreams I had last night, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that a lot of things 
that's why we need this, you know, in opinion influencers and so on that you get primed by the people, for instance, you trust. Uh, and then you make certain decisions and you buy certain things and you enter certain groups and you make certain political decisions and so on. So, yeah, I, I guess uh, it's, uh, it's good to know that. I, I don't know if we can change that. But, yeah, it's at least um, probably um, a nice advice to engage your system too when you're taking important decisions like going to uh, elections, for instance. Or like when you fill in blanks and words and have to consider if it's the soup or the soap. Yeah, that's, that's very important, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, shall we talk about the next one? Yes, so I think uh, most of the next things... Um, uh, fall under the category of snap judgment, which is about our mind making quick choices when it lacks um, information. And uh, the first one is called the halo effect, which describes the tendency of a person, oh, sorry, person's uh, positive or, or negative traits to, so to speak, spill over from one personality area to another in others' perception of them. I kind of got lost, what? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Let me give you an example, right? So let's say, uh, this is actually also, I think, the example, example that he uses in the book. So there's this guy called Joe. You met him at a party and you didn't really speak to him for a long time, but he was somehow friendly. And, you know, you just remember that he's kind of a friendly guy. And later you try to come up with, uh, you know, a list of people you want to collect donations from. And you remember Joe. And because Joe was friendly, you assume that he will also donate to your cause. Right. Honestly, so that makes no sense to me. Uh, is there any other example that is... Uh... Let's assume, for example, that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a person in the photograph and it's attractive. It's well-groomed and uh, properly attired. And um, then you basically assume that this person in the photograph is also a good person simply because that person is looking good and well-groomed and attractive, right? That this is kind of the same thing, right? You, you assume something based on something that you observe, kind of, right? And it just spills over to something else because maybe this person is, you know, evil at its very heart you have no okay, idea yeah there, there are cultural preconceptions if people are neat and good looking we kind of assume they're nice and they might be really real monsters okay i got you so i think also the halo effect is something that is uh, it's it's not only known through the book it's it's a theorem that that has already been known and discussed and i guess maybe even many of you already heard about it um yeah so I guess the interesting bit is that Tino takes a bunch of all of those uh, theorems and, and biases that are around and then kind of, you know, brings them under one hood by using this whole system one, system two thing as a general umbrella to, you know, talk about all those things. And actually also did quite a bit of, of, of research on that. Uh, by the way, um, the thing we talked about before, priming. So there is a bit of critique uh, around the book. And a few of those things, as I heard or read, are also supposedly somewhat debunked. I didn't really go into the full full breadth of all the details that are there that essentially um, uh, debunk all of this. However, um, at least about the priming bit, I think one, one, one thing that came up was that the, the research that he did was underpowered, meaning that the sample size, the amount of people he used in that research, there, there were were not enough to conclusively actually... Yeah, but 
I mean, halo effect is something that is known not only from his no, book. I, um, I mean, priming, right? So ah, okay. th that's the bit I, I read about well, priming. Well, also, I'm also a little bit confused because for me, what we speak about, like what we read about priming and the halo effect is kind of one and the same thing, or is it not? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, you could argue that they, they seem to have a similar route, yeah. So both are about you, you get one bit of information first and then later this will influence your decision making. So yeah. that's true. Um, I guess halo effect is just a much more specific thing, where priming seems to be something very uh, generic, I guess you mm -hmm. could say, right? Because it can be anything that will then apply to any decision you make later. Um, the halo effect is more specifically um, focused, I think, on, on, on the perception of one thing, right? Oh, like it's like, okay, now uh, the, the interesting thing, there is a lot of criticism about this company uh, founded by Gwyneth Paltrow, Goop. You know, because uh, there's a lot of, like, we don't, we're not going to go like really deep into it. But uh, she founded a company that is, uh, sells some kind of spiritual kind of products and really questionable practices and really anti-scientific practices. But a lot of people buy the stuff from the company because she is the face of the company. And a lot of people like her as an actress and think, okay, uh, if she's selling that, then it must be good. Then it must be proven. Then it must be, uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I just, I just, I'm just, I, I just spiraled down the regime <laughs> of the group company. It's just yeah. crazy. I mean, also more broadly speaking, right? If, if, if some brands try to get hold of some Instagram influencers to, you know, show, showcase their products or post something about the brand or in relation to the brand, so that the brand wants to attach themselves to the positive image of you know whatever thing that is mostly then you know some sort of famous people then yeah but she founded the company that's that's the that's the part that's the most interesting part it's not that, that she kind of represents the, like she is the brand and that is like the crazy thing and you watched the what the avengers or whatnot where she played or you love some kind of other movies she participated in and you think oh yeah it's amazing avengers, so. yeah me neither but i mean like the, there are a lot of people who are and like they, they're like oh the, she must be good she must understand what she's talking about and she um she simply doesn't like yeah <laughs> anyway let's continue all right so um the next thing up in the list is uh, well it's more like a headline so uh, which a couple of things that run under the title no head for numbers uh and it it comes down to describing how we essentially suck when it comes to um, not suck we just avoid uh, we just uh, uh, just try to avoid uh, solving mathematical problems on a daily basis or statistical uh, yeah we suck at it yeah and logic as well <laughs> yeah uh, so we would rather rely on our system one or our intuitive or our intuition uh, than just calculating things that are actually pretty uh, simple I don't know eighth grade mathematics actually yeah, and then there are, again, a couple of simple examples. I guess one thing is, um, you know, imagine, imagine you want to take, take, a, take a flight somewhere and then uh, you, you hear in the news that the plane crashed, right? So this will obviously freak you out because you're about to fly in a plane and the plane just crashed. And so you, you know, you, you already uh, paint all the, well, 
对对。Well, you flying, you flying, and you are afraid because because that's what happens. Like you start to get worried, and you spiral down this uh, this uh, I don't know neurotic spiral, whatever, and you're afraid to fly. But actually, if you look at the statistics, if anything, this plane crash shows that. The the fact that your plane is going to crash is much lower. Like the statistically, uh, then it actually reduces the the um, probability probability of, the... of your plane crashing as well. And you just have to like uh, what what I find interesting. There is a theorem called bias theorem. We're not going to go into there because uh, speaking on on. How to say without the visuals? It's really hard to explain it. But I, I'd rather recommend you to look into the bias theorem because it's a, a formula. Then, if you like, get worried about something, something like that, like natural catastrophes or anything else, just go into like check out the bias theorem and try to calculate uh, the probability of the event you're fearing happening. And then you're gonna get calm again and continue with your day. Yeah, I guess I hope. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. And then also, um, he he further starts referring to something he calls the base the the, the, the base rate, and by this he basically means um, uh, well. Let, let's talk about the example. So he talks about a, a taxi company, and twenty percent of all the taxis are yellow, and eighty percent of the taxis are red. So for red, the base rate would be eighty percent. And this will then essentially help you predict what taxi will, what, well, what color the taxi that will pick you up will probably have, right? So since they're eighty percent red, the probability of a red taxi picking you up is quite high. So, so um, even if even if uh, the previous car that picked somebody up was uh, was also red, you shouldn't be hoping that the yellow car comes for you because most probably uh, another red car will come for you. Yeah. So it come. All of this comes down to not not trying to uh, freak out by something you just hear or listen to, but rather think about it or try to to think about it a bit deeper. You know about what the probability actually of something is to happen. Use the system too. Globally, generally speaking, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, uh, the next one um, gets a bit more. Uh, well, it's more about the past. No, about remembering, how we remember things. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. So, oh God. <laughs> Should I do it? Yeah, please. I mean, uh, okay, the way we remember things is very nonlinear and uh, not to be trusted because there are two remembering selves, the, the, no, two selves when we, when we speak about remembering. One is uh, the remembering self, one is experiencing self. And uh, the... Um, the experiencing self, when you experience something, is asking you, how do I feel right now while experiencing the thing? And the remembering self records the entire, like the event in its entirety. Meaning, um, uh, but we usually, when we look back, we usually use the remembering self. So we omit a lot of details and we, for instance, um, neglect the duration of the event. And we also tend to remember, when we remember the event in its entirety, we emphasize something that happens towards the end 
of the event. So for instance, if there is some kind of experience, we are going to a website and it, the experience was overall nice, but at the end something bad was happened. I don't know, the button didn't work or whatever, you can find something. You would rather, you would probably remember only this and emphasize this and emphasize, uh, like think of the whole experience as bad. Uh, yeah, it, will, it will tint your entire experience disproportionately right if you have like if you spend 20 minutes browsing a website or let's say you buy something right and uh, everything was great up until the point where you don't understand something about the shopping cart right when you want to finish your purchase or whatever then all of this would basically badly tint the entire experience yeah or like the end of the movie everybody liked game of thrones and then uh, they didn't like the last season and then it tinted the whole experience of watching because we don't remember how amazing the first seasons were and how amazing it was while we were watching them and using our experiencing self did you, you know? like it that much though <sighs> well, I, I don't know a lot of people did <laughs> i i did like it though i mean i was waiting for every other season and we like got into it, it was, i didn't like the bloody part i didn't like the naked parts but i like the dialogues and, and the story and the development of characters yes i i did like it and i honestly liked the last season but yeah okay throw a tomato at me so when you were talking about the the rem remembering self and the you know the the other things like that you tend to uh, a, don't really remember how long the experience um, takes, but then also B, that's when something bad happens towards the end. Um, so the part that uh, where you don't remember the whole experience, but you know just or how, how long it actually took, um, is called the duration neglect, which is another, I guess, effect you could say. And then the other one, which is about um, emphasizing whatever happens towards the end, is called the peak end rule. Yeah, anyway, what the, he uses the example of colonoscopy, but I thought it's not a good example to use here. <laughs> let's continue. Oh, wait, let's talk about <laughs> no, it. So. <laughs> let's not talk about colonoscopies. Uh, but, but, but generally, like, you know, there were two, two, I mean, we don't have to go into the details, but uh, in one example, the whole procedure... Well, you're procedure, going into the details. No, okay, let's just... It's more like the why. whole procedure was a bit unpleasant, but, uh, you know, well... I don't know. No, one procedure was longer. Like he talked about different colonoscopies. One was, <laughs> one was a long one uh, and and uh, unpleasant one, and the the other one was short one, uh, but was unpleasant, like really really painful event happening at the end. And of course, all people while they were uh, like reviewed and asked questions during the 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 event, those who had a longer one was unhappier. But then at the end, as they used their remembering self. Uh, those who actually had a shorter procedure and less painful procedure, but with pain accumulating at the end, perceived it as, as worse. So, yeah. There you go. I didn't even have to talk about it. You did it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I just my remembering so. Um. <laughs> okay, we move on. So... Um... The opposing states of the mind. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so, generally speaking, our mind... not. Obviously, there is system one and system two, but then there are also two opposing states uh, our mind can be in. One being uh, the state of cognitive ease and the other one the state of cognitive strain. So whenever we are at ease, we, we uh, feel more intuitive, relaxed, generally we are quite happy, we are probably also more creative, but we are also more likely to make mistakes because we don't think things through too much. 
and system one pretty much takes over. While if we are under cognitive strain, our awareness is heightened, we are more alert, we tend to double-check double check, uh, judgments of system one, and we generally also make far fewer mistakes. But we are also less creative in this state. Yeah. So I guess it's quite easy to see where those two states of the mind come from. In one case, the brain can, can, can relax a bit and doesn't have to spend too much energy. In the other case, our life might have been uh, at risk back in the days, right? So it, it might be worth to put that extra energy into the thinking process just to make sure that you know, yeah, so what he, yeah, so what he states is like, if you want your message to be a persuasive one, promote cognitive ease, uh, expose people repeatedly to the same information. So if people see something familiar, it makes them enter the state of cognitive ease. And uh, if uh, you want to put the people in the state of cognitive strain, uh, you have to present them the information in a more confusing way. For instance, you can use a um, hard to read uh, typeface or uh, yeah, then, then you, you put them kind of in an alert so, or you, you use, you present the information in a more disturbing way and use some kind of disturbing. So factors. does that mean that good design is unethical? No. Why does it say you good or bad design? Actually, I, I, can, well, because well, kind of, I get some kind of confu confusing messages here. In one way, you, you have to put the people in and repeat the information to put them in the state of cognitive ease. But why would you want pretty to much put, propaganda, right? Yeah. But why would you want to put them in a, a state of cognitive strain and like, like just to stop and think to to well, to, to make them think things through, right? So if you buy something, you know, maybe somebody has a credit card and they're already over the limit. But you, A, put the right stuff in front of their noses, which, you know, based on your algorithms, you know, that person might feel inclined to, to buy. And B, you know, the whole experience is designed so nicely and it's so fast and so easy to go through that you don't even have to think about it while you buy it, right? So in no, a way... No, I mean, that I understand. Yeah. I, what I don't understand is why would you want to put the people in a state of cognitive strain? Because like, you want wanna... them to think what they do and not just, you know, have them... You know, do their thing, even if it might be against what would actually be well, good for them. Give me an example. Why would you want to, as, a, as yeah. a designer, for instance, why would you want to put the people or your users? I mean, the example I just gave you, right? So you don't, maybe you do want to not make some things too easy, like getting into a software subscription or whatever right, that you then later forget. Or I think another great example, oh, I have actually a really nice yeah, but example. if I'm with the software, I want them to get the software subscription. That's what I mean. Yeah, you want that. You want that, right? But that doesn't mean it's the best thing for that person. Yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about the, from the goals. point of view of the designer. So yeah. what, I de what do I design? What product do I design to make them stop and think? No, when you're designing a product, is there a situation you would like want people to stop and think a good example would be do you remember that subscription we had for i think it was class path no what yes, was it, it was again class pass yes class or... pass exactly so and it was terribly hard to get out of this again right and so what they could have done at some point is to do a better job in informing you at an early stage so you know how hard it is to get out of this whole class pass thing at the end because you couldn't just cancel the subscription but you actually had to get in touch with their customer support you had to wait until they answered it was 
okay so that's when they did that like they didn't they did a long and painful un, unpleasant process for me so maybe and in the end i uh, like rethink and not leave them but actually that made me even more angry and even more like uh, determined to to unsubscribe yes plus obviously nobody would mention that you know at any point early on in the whole onboarding procedure because if you just want to try it out for some time right then uh, you might want to know that it's very easy to opt out of it again. But this would have meant that they would have to put in more information at in the beginning. But obviously, they don't want to think you too much at this they stage. They don't want you to think. To think, well, sorry, to think too much. So, or to think at all, which means that they will do everything in their power they can to conceal all of this stuff up front and just show you the shiny bits, right? Then this, okay, well, this yeah, is maybe well, an you're, example. You're talking, yeah, anyway, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, but still, I still because it sounds interesting because for me it's kind of a contradicting thing what they say. Like if you want to, if you want to be persuasive, uh, repeat the information all the time. Uh, but at the same time, if you want to like people to, to people to stop and think, maybe uh, you should. Um, like make a use a strange typeface or use something unexpected so they like get startled and stop and try to read it and try to understand it's, it it's, to, it's to super attract super contradicting attention. in a way right because why would you want to do that but then yeah so it's it's i just think it's something interesting to to think about but then at the same time yeah sure why would you want to make it hard i don't think that just making the typeface smaller is necessarily like you know, a great example. Yeah, because in a way. there's also honestly there is this other book that I wanted to maybe review in one of the next months. It's like don't make me think. You know, when you are user experience designer, yeah. that's the book that gets uh, recommended all the time. And the that's point like the of this book, classic, yeah, much. exactly. And that the point of this book is don't make me think. When you just uh, think, when you design a website, you design an experience. Don't make people think because they don't want to. And which is also logical. Uh, it seems logical to me because, yeah. People don't want to think people are lazy or our mind is lazy and we prefer to uh, not to think. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, it's kind of let's continue. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think we already started getting into the whole theme of how information is presented to us and how this can also um, inform our decision making. And so the next bit that uh, he then goes on to talk about is uh, exactly that. And then he basically um, gives this example of how how you essentially um, frame things, how this plays a role. So, for example, you know, if um, if we're told that there is a ten percent chance that uh, that uh, a prisoner who, who who gets free will commit another crime, we might still be very likely to release that person. However, it might become much less likely. Um, if we frame it in a way such as out of 100 prisoners <laughs> who are like this guy, 10 will commit another crime, right? Because then all of a sudden it's much easier for our heads to picture that, uh, which again uh, will heavily influence our decision making, right? So, so, uh, so meaning uh, when you, for instance, like, like let's try to do it to bring it in the design or illustration or any kind of uh, realm. So for instance, when you make an infograph, uh, or infographics uh, generally try to present your information in a, a more 
emotional way. So not just say 10%, but by the way, recently when the, with the spread of the coronavirus, I've seen an, uh, some infographics that did exactly that. They did, didn't just say the, the mortality rate is so-and-so percent. They just said so many people out of so many people are going to die. And that is more, uh, yeah, a more emotional thing, a thing that we can relate to. And hence the infographics is more, is, is a better one. It, it explains things better to you and faster. Yeah, so there's also um, another example, which is also mentioned in the book Made to Stick, which is about, you know, forming persuasive messages. And uh, in that book, um, there is this example of, um, uh, so basically I think some sort of health institute in the United States wants to run a campaign because they found out that the average uh, medium-sized serving of popcorn in movie theater has a lot of um, saturated fat, like 37 grams yeah, of saturated like fat. 37 grams, and so then uh, their advertisement agency was, was 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 got into that, and they were they should basically come up with a, with an idea for a campaign to communicate that effectively. And obviously, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound too intimidating or meaningful if you just say that oh, uh, there are like 37 grams of saturated fat in this popcorn because nobody basically knows what that means, right? Is it good? Is it bad? Who knows? And so what they came up with is um, they wrote it in a way where, um, let me read that, um, a medium-sized butter popcorn at a typical neighborhood movie theater contains more artery-clogging fat than a bacon and eggs breakfast, a Big Mac and fries for lunch and a steak dinner with all the trimmings combined. Right, so they made it. They they reframed this whole thing into something you can easily picture and you can easily imagine. And this actually went quite viral by the, for, for that time, right? Although people already knew that the fact that there are like thirty-seven grams of saturated fat in a medium-sized popcorn serving, it didn't okay. mean anything. Yeah. Okay. So present information in in a way that people can relate to and can understand, and uh, better make it also emotional. Yeah. Try to relate the data to the real world somehow, so that you can easily picture it. Okay. So to summarize what we've just been uh, talking about, uh, and the main the main points from the book is, if you want your message to stick, repeat it as often as you can which is a kind of a little questionable, but okay. More like the messages get more persuasive when we are, when people are repeatedly exposed. To this them. podcast is good. This podcast is good. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. more propaganda yeah. of this podcast. Yeah. It was also very creative. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, people are more creative when in a good mood, when they are in a state of ease. And um, uh, then th this, System one will make you more like when you are in the, at, at the state of ease, you are more creative and uh, yeah. So would you have create? Would you have preferred? so to be happy? Like you have to be happy to be more creative, which is a nice thing. So, our mental state during this podcast was it mostly about system one or system two? Well, right now it was kind of uh, very difficult, <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, we should probably have recorded another one yeah let's, let's have been more use intuitive. a more 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 an easy one an easy going one ah oh and don't be influenced by rare statistic events uh that uh, get over repeated in the news like disasters and and so on and so forth because because you yeah you get nervous uh, no <sighs> oh yes you will get very nervous no the, the whole point being news are news you know news are are made to 
to uh, to fascinate people in one way or another and to captivate them. But then if you think about the statistical relevance of what is actually reported in the news, you know, it doesn't really matter too often in a way. So this is why, you know, you should not be influenced too much by uh, how they put it, actually. You, you should not be influenced by rare statistical events, you know, that that get over-repeated maybe in the news. Or, yeah, for know, instance, like, I don't know, airplane crash, they make like all the headlines, but then, and you start thinking how it relates to you and you start getting getting nervous and afraid to fly and so on and so forth. Yeah, just when when that happens, try to turn on your system too. Uh, try to calculate the statistical um, probability uh, and get calm. Yeah, it was a long one today. Sorry yeah. for that. Also <laughs> Next sorry. one will be an easy one. Or maybe not. Let's see. We also hope that you could take a thing or two from this. Um, yeah, so if you're more interested in this all, you know, those theorems like priming, like halo effect and so on, uh, just just search for, um, for cognitive biases and you will find a huge list of all of those. Um, unfortunately, we didn't manage to relate too much of that to design, but I guess at least for the more obvious ones, you... Probably yeah. got it. I mean, the book. I'm, I'm. I'm not sure if I can recommend this book to to read. I mean, it's an interesting one, but it's not not really number one on the creative list. I it's not say. like life changing, right? But then no. again, what book is actually life changing? People. I already saw people throwing around that claim quite often, but when it comes to it, I. Well, I haven't read uh, non-fictional books that were life changing as of yet. Maybe it will still happen. Uh, but I, I really think that books that are story books and that are fiction books are more life changing to me than or have been so far. Cool. So on this positive note, <laughs> we're wrapping this up. Um, maybe next time we pick something we actually do think is life changing. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean it was interesting. It was interesting to look into, and we will continue with this uh, with this book review slash uh, summarizing uh, in the next months. And I hope you like it. And let us know and subscribe to to our podcast and bear with us because the next topic will be much easier and lighter. I think. Or maybe not. We'll or see. maybe not. Maybe it will be even more stressful for us. Alrighty. Uh, <laughs> More research. Yay. Thanks for listening in and uh, see you next week. Yeah, hear you soon. Bye. Bye.